Are you sitting comfortably? Right, then we'll begin. This is the Western Devs Podcast for Friday, September the 11th, 2015. Episode 9. This week, Kanban. Boy, look here, we get something for you. Yeah! Welcome, everybody. This is another podcast here, and uh, how's everybody doing today? Good. Good. Great. Fantastic. Yeah, we, we got uh, a full house today. There's, it looks like, what, like seven or eight of us on today. So I want to start off some some of the things we talked about on Slack this week. Is What did we discuss on Slack? Uh, well, we talked about a bunch of stuff. One of the things that I talked about a bunch was the problems that we're having with Knockout on my current project. and kind of, in general, what a pain knockout is and how I'm not going to recommend people use it anymore. Well, that's good to know. I just started on a project that uses knockout pretty heavily. Did Is this the first time <laughs> you've used knockout before? Uh, no, I've used knockout for quite a while on a bunch of different projects, but this is maybe the first time that I've used it to this level. Like I'm doing some fairly complicated things with it. Like I have some forms that you select some property on the form and that kind of drives the population of the rest of the form. So a bunch of controls are added dynamically and those sorts of things. And we're running into problems. Probably the, the worst problem that we're running into is using knockout components. So the, the latest versions of knockout support this component idea probably to, to compete with frameworks like React. Uh, so the idea is these components are kind of reusable bits that you can use in various different places. And ideally, you end up having a component that contains like all your your functionality as well as your markup and all of those sorts of things all in one central location. Uh, but the problem that we're having with them is that their life cycle is really, really weird. Uh, you you bind a, a component onto the page and it just renders at some point in the future. And you never know when it's going to render, whether it's going to render immediately, whether it's going to render at some point in the future, which wouldn't be a, a huge deal except that I have things that I need to fire off after the component is rendered on the page. So I need to go back and like add some stuff to the, the controls that are rendered. And there's no way to do it. There's a there's a bug on the knockout list for it, but it's been there for months and months and doesn't seem to be getting any sort of traction. Uh, and it, it would be a fairly dramatic change. And even if you, you can fix it, then you can't fix it for subcomponents. If you have a component that contains other components, the opinion of knockout seems to be, well, this is pretty much an unsolvable problem in the way that we've built the framework right now. So if you're going to use components at knockout, this is something to be aware of. Well, that sounds like fun. I think that's actually exactly what I've been tasked to do for my first thing. Oh, well. You, you should replace knockout. <laughs> yeah the new kid that's my first uh, order order of business all right well let's get started this week's topic is on uh kanban and um, i guess from my own perspective i know very little about kanban so let us start with uh can is somebody here able to tell me not knowing anything about it, what kanban is well, when uh, whenever I talk about Kanban, 
I always start the conversation with people who are really new to the topic, talking about how overloaded the word Kanban is, and that to make our conversation a little bit more productive or coherent, we'll talk about the three definitions that I commonly see used and how they're just sort of different. And we'll make sure that we talk about, we know which one we're talking about. So the word Kanban uh, very simply means signboard or more in our context, like a visual cue or a visualization. So that's one way that people use the word Kanban. They talk about their Kanban and they talk about their visual cue. The other definition of Kanban that people will talk about is they'll be talking about their virtual Kanban system. So in knowledge work, we don't have physical assembly lines or manufacturing lines. So we don't have physical Kanban. So we say we have virtual Kanban systems when we talk about managing our work in Kanban. So that's the second definition. So a virtual Kanban system. And then usually when I'm involved, no, someone is going to be talking about the Kanban method, which is where I first started learning about all of my Kanban stuff, but it's a, it's, it's how do we, help organizations develop the capability to use virtual Kanban systems? How do they get started? There's a there's a basic, you know, getting started to do, to use virtual Kanban systems. So that's the Kanban method, virtual Kanban systems, and then just Kanban itself. Those are the three overloaded terms. So I'll, I guess I'll leave it to you guys to about which one you'd want to talk about. Virtual Kanban systems, there's just basic mechanics there. We can talk about Kanban visual cues, but that's not usually super exciting. And it's pretty, you know, everybody knows what they want as a visual cue or the Kanban method, which is how do you get an organization to start using virtual Kanban systems? Well, I tell you, when I talk to people about, about Kanban, yeah, there's all the, the specific details, like, like Dave started to mention there. The, the big difference I hear is like a lot of people do Scrum. You know, most people know what Scrum is. And Kanban is kind of viewed as an alternative to Scrum, even though you can use both at the same time, where Scrum focuses on, on iterations or sprints and you're batching your work up into, you know, two week sprints. Uh, Kanban is much more focused on just uh, single pieces of work, single user stories flowing through the system and not necessarily batching them up into sprints like you do with Scrum. And then Kanban gives you a bunch of techniques and practices to kind of make that work uh, effectively without having to do sprints. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that Kanban doesn't do batching or doesn't do sprint-like behavior. It just when you're doing when you're talking about Scrum, there's the Scrum guide. The Scrum guide says to do your work management this way, and part of that is iterations. Part of that is iteration planning and intake and retrospectives and all of that stuff. Kanban doesn't mandate those kinds of things. You can. You can get a team that looks like Scrum, but they got there using a Kanban mindset. But Scrum doesn't like to necessarily evolve away from some of these core Scrum practices where Kanban teams almost always, I'm not going to say always, because there's some teams that they just used Kanban to get to look like Scrum and then they just stay that way. But a lot of teams will start out with Scrum, and then they'll lay Kanban over top of it, and then they drift away from Scrum. But it wasn't that they couldn't do a Scrum-like thing with Kanban. Well, that one of the great things uh, about Kanban is that well, 
we use whatever process you're using right now, right? Mm -hmm. It won't interfere with what you're doing. Like, for example, Scrum, it could be, it's usually a change on what you're doing. You can bring Kanban and keep doing the sprints and keep doing uh, the pre-sprint, the after-sprint. And if you want to decide to model all that, that's fine. You, You can use it too. And then that's a very easy transition at first. So that's that's interesting to me right away. Is is that kind of the first step in adopting Kanban? Is that you want to model your existing processes before you do anything else? I think so because um, um, usually when you switch to Kanban, one of the benefits that you'll get sooner than later is uh, to realize uh, what your process is and maybe identify uh, bottlenecks and and then start working towards capacity. Try to identify how much can you do instead of just keep going on 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 a fixed number. So I what I do usually with teams that that adopt Kaman is is that first step of modeling the process and and try to navigate on it for a bit so everybody gets used to it. Though everybody knows it, but they may not have a formalized what the process is. So I'm still a little fuzzy on Kanban within, even within a Scrum process. Like how, how would you introduce Kanban? If, if you could use Kanban with any other existing process, then what exactly are you doing that says that you're doing Kanban? Is it just basically a, a pull mechanism versus a push? Is, is that accurate? Yeah, so when when I teach people Kanban, it's going to answer your question too, right? I kind of, uh, I know there's like the official four principles and nine practices, whatever they are. But how I describe it is, is there's three things that, that matter to me. Kanban says you should make your work visible, you should limit work in progress, and you should focus on flow. So, right, so making work visible, that's where the practices of, of start with uh, the process that you have today and the roles that you have today, and just figure out a way to visualize it. So if that process today is Scrum, uh, figure out a way to visualize that. And Scrum has good techniques, right? It has got the, the task board and what's in the sprint and inside the sprint, what's done, not done, and the backlog and the stuff broken down into, uh, uh, you know, product backlog items into tasks or sprint backlog items, right? But Kanban just says, figure out a way to visualize either on a physical board or a digital board, uh, the work that your team does and the, the process and the phases it goes through, whatever your team happens to use, right? And then kind of the second aspect is, is limit work in progress, limit whip. And that kind of turns you into a pull system, right? You need some mechanism to limit the amount of work that your team's working on at any given time. And if you're doing Scrum, the sprint batch sizes kind of gives you that limit, right? We only accept 20 story points worth of work every every sprint. If you're not doing sprints uh, and you're adopting Kanban, you need some way to limit the width. And usually, you know, if you have a Kanban board with a bunch of columns, you know, analysis, dev, test, whatever, usually you just put a limit. We can only have five things in dev at any given time. And the last aspect is you start focusing on the flow of the work through the system and trying to identify the bottlenecks and remove the bottlenecks. And Kanban kind of leads you towards some some common metrics like like lead time and, and work in progress and flow efficiency and stuff that really helps you focus on the flow of work through your system to optimize it. So Kyle, but you touched on sort of like a good point. So Dylan was talking about a lot of the mechanics of a Kanban implementation, but you know, if you are using Scrum and it's not working for you, you got to think about, well, why is it not working? What is wrong with 
our particular process. And then we get into, okay, well, we can use Kanban, but what does that mean? Do we want to instantly implement a virtual Kanban system, which a lot of the mechanics Dylan was just talking about, that's where they sort of come into, but why would we use the Kanban method to help our scrum team evolve? And so when we talk about, like when I say we, I mean like Lean Kanban University and LKU, sort of the, we're sort of the biggest, most well-known Kanban organized, like education and advocacy organization. When we talk about the Kanban method, the first principle is start with what you're doing today. And there's a reason, the reason that we do that is because we actually find that evolving processes and organizations is, is more of a human cultural problem than a mechanical problem. And when we start to change people's roles or we change the process or we start applying all of this, you know, managed change, there's a lot of resistance. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know if that's going to work, but someone's decided that that's what we should do. And then people start to resist those change and it just, you know, gets derailed a bit. So when we say that you can be it, you can be implementing Scrum for some reason, you've decided that you need to make it better or evolve it, or even you could actually maybe not be doing Scrum very well and you want to use Kanban to see if you can actually be doing a Scrum better. So that's why we always say start with the existing process. And if you've gone to the Kanban method, I would say that now you're doing Kanban, the Kanban method, uh, to try and evolve your your process. So once you've decided that you're going to do that, you'll start with what you're doing now. Just try and model it. Don't make any changes. Don't change people's titles. Then you're going to get a more broad agreement amongst everybody involved that we're actually going to try to improve. We're going to go off and try and get better. If you're doing sort of those two things, then you're starting to do Kanban on top of a Scrum implementation. And then we're going to start to get into the practices that Dylan is starting to talk about, about visualizing your work and limiting your whip and uh, making your policies explicit. All those things are going to now help you define the rules of the process, the rules of the game. How do we want to work? How are we working? It's very explicit when you start writing it out. We work this way. And now we can have a conversation about fixing the way that we work versus um, having conversation about that person said that we need to change or that person's opinion. We can just talk more about the policies and the processes than we do about people's interpretation of them. So, Dave, so what I see a lot with Scrum teams adopting Kanban, I know we've worked on a project together where we did this, right? Scrum teams tend to have a lot of kind of common problems. And, and one that I see is happens a lot is, all right, let's say we're doing two-week sprints and we're doing 10 stories per sprint. Right, you get, you know, eight days into that 10 day sprint and we have like one story done and like nine in progress. And they tend to kind of all finish, hopefully, right at the end, right? And a much more healthy practice is to like start one and finish it before you move on to the next one. So, you know, three days in, you finish a story, five days in, you finish two more. That's what you want to see, but you don't see that in a lot of scrum teams. So what I see a lot of scrum teams do is when they recognize they have that problem, uh, they might introduce Kanban and they introduce Kanban within the sprint. And they just uh, make a little Kanban board and it might just be 
uh, you know, uh, to do, doing, done as kind of the three columns. And they put a whip limit saying that we can only be working on, you know, three stories out of the 10 at any given time. And uh, we can't start new stories until we finish one of those. And it kind of forces the team within the sprint to finish work before they move on to the next one. Uh, right. And I find that's very effective at helping scrum teams. But then once teams start doing that, the kind of the Kanban within the sprint, teams usually like that. And another problem scrum teams face is, you know, you don't get it all done by the end of the two weeks. What do you do then? And it always happens, right? Maybe you, you budgeted or estimated how much you could do in a sprint poorly and you got too much or too little. And what do you do if you finish early or don't finish in time? And once teams start doing this Kanban and it's kind of limiting the flow of work, the work they can work on at any given time, they start to think, huh, why do I need these two-week sprints, these two-week buckets at all? Why don't I just keep work flowing through Kanban and I'll only work on three things at a time and I won't start something new until I'm done and I don't really need these sprints anymore. And I see, I see that happen a lot and I, and I, and I like that direction when teams go there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, you know, where we're saying like you start out with Scrum, you start to lay Kanban thinking over top of it. So now you're kind of doing Kanban. Now you start to pull out these practices that encourage good behavior. And you find that scrum teams naturally evolve towards a better behavior based on what they observe that they're actually, their problems are. And I see, I agree. I see a lot of scrum teams that are scrum in and of itself has whip limit, a whip limit. It's how much the team accepts into their sprint. And it's a big batch, but they get to control how much they pull in. But just like you said, as soon as they pull that work in, in the iteration planning, they usually start all those stories and then they don't, they finish a couple of them at the end. So then they start to think about how can they apply whip limits more, you know, within the team's process, which is what you described. And then they start to find that they get better flow. I have a question here just to take it back for a second. You're talking about whip limits and, uh, and, and I, I work in progress limits, I assume is what you're talking about. Can you like explain why those are important and like, exactly what they are with respect to Kanban? Yeah, sure. So a whip, whip work in progress, I should have uh, clarified that is, a policy describing what a team thinks is the most work that we should have started at one time. Whip limits can be applied to, you know, just what's started, or it can be what started development or what started in test, depending on how big that team is. But basically, it's a policy describing what we think is the um, optimal amount of work, given our team's capabilities to have in progress at any particular point in the in the process. So going back to my last statement, a, a scrum team might say, well, we think that 40 points worth of work in progress is what we should have inside of our sprint. It's a very coarse grained whip limit, but it is. The team got to pull in 40 points. Most Kanban teams tend to like more fine grained work in progress policies. So they will say, well, we should have four things in our ready queue. We should have three things in analysis, three things in development, and four things in test. And those are numbers are just, they're not any specified guidance. They're just random numbers that I threw out because that's really what a whip limit should be. It should be something that the team determines will help them behave optimally to keep work items flowing smoothly through the system. 
So what metrics do you suggest using to figure out what your whip limits are? And are your whip limits higher if you have, say, Indiana Jones or Catwoman on your team? <laughs> so whip limits, um, you know, when, 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 we, when, someone, when someone asks you, what should my whip limit be? And they have no um, evidence or no information about what it should be. I would just say, how many developers do you have? How many testers do you have? How many BAs do you have? If you have a cross-discipline team and you've got three people who are doing all those roles, well, then maybe your whip limit is three. Maybe your whip limit is five because it gives you a little bit of flexibility to, you know, set a policy that governs you to have good behavior but doesn't make you feel like you're restricted, like you can't put something aside because there's scheduling conflicts, stuff's not quite ready I finish this thing a little bit sooner. People get anxious when they feel like the board policies are saying that they can't work. And that's another good thing is that even though I'm setting these limit limits at say four or three or whatever, they're just guides to good behavior. They're actually not laws or rules. You're not going to be fired if you exceed your rip limit. But if a team is constantly exceeding their rip limit, then it's an in there's there's information there that they should either increase their whip limit so that there's not that emotional resistance to them, or they're actually not follow they're not following their whip limit policies and they're just pulling stuff and then they have to go and determine why people are not adhering to these policies of what we think are good behavior for the Kanban system. Yeah, and what I find too is generally uh, having a lower whip limit or, or not necessarily a lower limit but a lower amount of work in progress generally leads to good things. For for example, there's something called Little's Law, which basically says the lead time of, of work of a user story, the amount of time from starting to delivering it, is directly proportional to the amount of work in progress. So if you reduce the amount of work in progress, your lead times uh, become smaller, which, you know, is kind of common sense says that's a good thing. And there's all kinds of other good behaviors that kind of happen when you get lower whip limits. So So generally, lower is better. Uh, but when I work with teams, right, like Dave said, I usually start out with a high whip limit, right? What what are we doing today? Or maybe you just set the whip limits at kind of the, today's behavior. And then we make a conscious effort to drive those down over time. And the, the practice, the process of trying to reduce the lip, whip limits and seeing kind of what problems we run into and why can't we reduce it? And why does everybody have to work on five things at a time? Uh, you start, those start to become obvious. And then hopefully you can do something to address those issues and slowly over time drive down the width limits and it's going to increase the productivity and efficiency of your team. So we've talked a lot about whip limits and I usually see whip limits referred to in reference to when people are talking about lean. So is Kanban part of lean or the other way around? What's the relationship there? And how is lean different than agile? <laughs> That's a really good question. So let's talk about lean as a as a mindset right so where did lean come from originally it came out of the 1950s out of toyota it was this idea that we wanted to in the production line you know minimize waste empower employees focus on high quality there's a lot of material talking about how toyota went from you know this post-World War II Japanese auto manufacturer to today being the largest auto manufacturer in the world. Well, they flip it off with GM, but basically the biggest, most profitable 
auto manufacturing in the world. How'd they do that in 50 years or 60 years now? Lean is not a process. It's more of a way of thinking. Let's go sort of sideways for a moment. Let's talk about agile. What is agile? To me, when I think about what agile is, I think it's the agile manifesto. It's a way of thinking. The Agile Manifesto doesn't describe how to do the 12 principles. It just describes these are things that you should do. Scrum is an instance of a, of a methodology that adheres to the Agile, method, uh, Agile Manifesto's principles. So, and there's a lot of good practices that are in the Agile methodologies. Scrum has good practices. XP has good practices. On the lean side, there isn't really... There are adaptations of lean that take that waste reduction, high quality mindset and sort of translate it onto the knowledge working process. But it's really hard in knowledge work to determine what is wasteful because it's actually, we are actually more interested in exploring and discovering, which is going to require us to have failures. It's going to require us to go down a path and figure out that it doesn't work and then come back. So do we want to necessarily, we're not, it's, it's a lot harder to see what's wasteful. Um, there are very easy things to see that are wasteful. Automation is a great way to see that manual work is wasteful. So that's, you know, when we see lean in knowledge work or lean in software development, usually it's a more direct application or a more direct translation of the lean manufacturing principles into software development Whereas Kanban takes those ideas of limiting work in progress. That's, you know, what one of the things that Toyota wanted to do. They wanted to empower employees to make improvements. They wanted to identify their processes and continuously improve, which they are going to find waste in. So we take those, you know, limiting work in progress, empowering employees, respecting employees, and continuous improvement, that's more what the Kanban method and its philosophy or its mindset are, are advocating. I think that uh, the connection here could be like they were saying that the idea of waste, well, what is waste for, for software? When you look at, at your process uh, now, for us, usually waste means that features that are not done, right? And uh, they, they could have been done, but they were left for to work on another. I think Dylan was talking about that too. That's waste. Features that were discussed and never implemented, right? And then you have to rediscuss again. That's waste. And I think on a, on a Kanban board, you can see that very, very clearly, right? You can see what features uh, should have been worked on and actually the team dedicated time to something else and you can focus on try to to improve it so big be, becoming leaner i think with with kanban it's uh very easy to implement in my mind but it sounds like there's a process around coming up with the process you you look at the the kanban board and uh, you say we didn't get all these features done. Let's stop and discuss why we didn't get all those features done. Or we were done really early this time. Why were we done really early this time? Doesn't it come become kind of self fulfilling? Actually, you know, you don't wait, right? 
imagine that your board, you have all your limits, right? And, uh, and you have your board full. Let's imagine that your last, uh, bid on your process is QA, right? So it's very clear that at some point you cannot add more and the team has to focus on, on make it, uh, the flow, right? Making it faster. So you're going to say, okay, what's the problem with QA? But you ask at that moment, you don't need to wait because the idea of uh, waiting for the sprint to finish is not there. You can highlight what's going on right away. You get the status uh, every time you take a look at the board. So you can say right away, oh, look, we're full. We cannot move anything. Uh, all these features also, they, they, they've been there and they're not moving. What's going on? And act accordingly. So it sounds like it's more like reducing the feedback loops. Stop. Don't wait till the end of the sprint to find out what happened, what went wrong. You deal with it as it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, I think so. If you were empowering your team members. So this is where, you know, where I think that Kanban has a really strong mindset where of continuous improvement and empowerment of team members. Like, okay, well, what are our policies? Whip limits. Amir was just saying, well, looks like we need to adjust our whip limit. The team is empowered to make that decision on a daily basis. That's why you don't set your whip limits and just leave them and think that they're, they're like rules. It's like, hey, this is just a guide to good behavior. Look what we've discovered about the way that we work. Let's apply, let's adjust our policy for our whip limits. Another thing about visualizing your work, you know, if we see that a story has been sitting in development for two weeks and, you know, we keep seeing it, keep seeing, well, what, what's, what's, what's wrong with it? Well, I keep getting interrupted by these other work. Well, maybe our whip limit's too high or I'm not being forced, not forced. I'm not being guided to get the work finished. So we make a policy change that tries to encourage us to get this work flowing. And it doesn't matter whether we have, you know, a biweekly deployment cadence you know, we can still have something that looks, that feels like a sprint because we're still going to deploy something every two weeks. We can still focus on quality. We can still do all of those things that you would expect to do in Scrum, but we just now don't worry about, well, what did, what happens if we didn't finish the sprint? We don't worry about it. We just deploy what is actually done. So have you ever been in a situation where uh, Kanban either didn't work or you recognize that it wouldn't work uh, for a particular organization? That's a, you know it's a it's a really good question. So it's a cultural change. So some cultures are not amenable to to changes. So if you have uh, come into a situation where you have a you know a senior manager or a, someone in a leadership position who's like set on doing it a specific way, it's probably not in your best interest to try and force a Kanban implementation. If an organization doesn't feel any pain, if they don't really have an incentive to improve, it's another one where it's like, well, you're not probably going to get a lot of support. And one of the other ones that we say is that if you have a capacity that far exceeds any demand that would be placed on the team, so let's say we have 50 developers and we have 10 BAs and they're producing one story a week and the developers just can easily suck up anything they do and get it implemented. There's no overburdening. Then you probably don't need a Kanban system, a virtual Kanban system with pull 
limits because you can't actually, you know, it the the system is immediately sucking up everything that gets put in front of it. So those are the three situations where you may not press too hard on implementing or trying to implement a Kanban system. But I, it's very unusual to find the latter, you know, where there's so much demand that, you know, you don't need pull-based mechanics. It is frequently, you do will, you will frequently see the first two where there's a, a cultural resistance to change. In that case, it's not that you don't want to necessarily try, but you will have to be maybe sneakier. I think that the, the question here could be uh, maybe where, where it won't work, right? If there is a situation, Dave, that you've seen be, that, that it won't work. I think the cases you mentioned, it could work anyways, right? Yeah. Even if development is faster, it could work anyways. It, it, it just highlights what everybody knows, right? But is there any situation that, that you can think of? Maybe the, the rest of you guys, the, do you have stories that say we implemented Kanban, we tried and, and it didn't work. It was worse than before. I'm, I'm not sure that's a super relevant question. Just, just because of how Kanban is. Kanban isn't really, it's not like Scrum where it says, <clears throat> this is your new process. And, and, you know, Scrum might not work for a lot of people. Uh, you know, Kanban is just something that we're going to layer on, on top of what you already do. Right. So we're just going to kind of gather some metrics and visualize the work based on whatever process you currently do. And, Right. I, I can't picture a scenario where you couldn't do that. And then kind of the next step is how do you use Kanban to drive improvements? And that may be more challenging depending on the nature of the improvements you're trying to drive. But I, I think almost anybody can take Kanban, uh, kind of the core concepts and layer it on top of what they currently do. I got to disagree with you, Dylan. Like, let's, I'm thinking of the situation where you, you, you spent all this time investing in Kanban, getting people bought in, you know, you, you are just layering it over what you're already doing. But at the end of the day, like if you're you're saying like, oh, we just get metrics out of it. But if there is going to be a case where those metrics don't have value or something like that, like you're saying almost all the time, the case I want to hear about just would be where does it not work? What are those niche cases? Because I think there is a that would be a challenge in some organizations for sure. And I'm curious well, on, think, on like a mere question went there. I think the more interesting question, what you said there is not necessarily where does it not work, but where would it not add value? I think you could you could do it anywhere. But I think you brought up a good question. Just because we can do it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to add a lot of value. I can't think of any scenarios personally uh, where I, I'm a big fan of Kanban. So I think it, it usually adds a lot of value in my experience. But Dave West, do you have an example of where you think it wouldn't add value? Well, honestly, that's what I'm asking you guys. You guys are the experts. I'm the new guy. <laughs> I'm looking to use Kanban, right? So, I, I think in a in a big organization, uh, or what I've seen is that. Uh, it's, it's like that says in terms of value, in terms of expectations, right? That we promise you that Kanban will fix everything, make you faster and whatever. And you implement it after two months and, and you don't see that happen. Well, and, uh, that's, that's a different problem, you know, and you know, one of the things I agree with 100% with Dylan, if you approach Kanban as a mindset that you can just start to apply to your area of influence and this is maybe something that's important to talk about is just your area of influence you can just think in the kanban mindset and start to become you'll just start to shift and you'll drift towards improvement but you don't necessarily need 
to say that you're doing Kanban. Um, a lot of organizations will start with someone doing personal Kanban, you know, so they just want to do their own little Kanban in their QB. And then someone sees it and it's like, oh, wow, like, what, how are you, what are you doing? And it's like, this is helping me work. And there's lots of other techniques. Uh, get, uh, Pomodoro is kind of another one I would sort of lump into that category. So if you're thinking that you would like to become a little bit better at reducing your multitasking or focusing on getting things done, you can do that at your personal level. You can do that at a team level. You can take these concepts and apply them at a program or a, an org level. Those are much harder. And if you're, I would not go in to anybody and say, yes, Kanban will make you 300% faster. And I promise that will happen in six months. Like that would be a really disingenuous thing for me to suggest that was even possible. I have no idea. I don't know what the, the organization is capable of. So I think you're talking like that situation. You may be talking about someone who made false promises versus where would I advise someone to start thinking or trying to use some of the Kanban practices where, where it won't work. And I, I haven't seen a place where these practices won't work. I've seen places where they won't take root and they won't be adopted and they won't be supported culturally, but that they don't work. Yeah, and I have a good example of that that's outside of the software world, but it's it's in healthcare, specifically in, in Saskatchewan. And I hear about this every time I go visit my in-laws because I have family members that are in that health region where they're struggling with this. And what they did is they, they brought in some consultants who said, we're going to apply these practices to make this health region more efficient. And it, it has gone very, very poorly. And I'm not sure how much of that is because maybe the practices weren't applied properly. When I hear what they're doing, it doesn't really sound like it's a proper approach. But I think it to get back to the where it doesn't work, I think, is when it's a really large organization and you don't really have buy-in for the people that are actually the ones doing the work. So where it's pushed from from on top. So you have some manager at the very top who said, we're going to do things this way now and didn't really that they did do training for the everybody within the organization but i don't think that they ever really bought into the idea because they weren't i think one of the one of the principles is that people are empowered to identify where where there's waste and make small changes and measure and see if it's improved i think that part was missed and uh, so this is definitely an example where it, it's a large organization, and I would say that it's it's largely failed because I, I don't think they've seen any real improvement, and employee satisfaction is way, way, way down across the board. That sounds almost like an implementation issue there, and, and I've been... You describe how you introduce Kanban, and it's a set of practices. It almost sounds like you're trying to convert people to a religion it's like if you're having these really bad problems your organization isn't productive we're going to do kanban and uh, if it doesn't work then it's not kanban's fault it's because you didn't do it properly but kanban itself doesn't doesn't really say that it's going to fix your problems the way i view it is, is is kanban is a way to help you identify your problems and help you recognize if the changes you're making are improving things or not. 
But Kanban itself doesn't fix anything. It helps you identify problems. It's up to you to figure out solutions. And then maybe Kanban will help you uh, measure if those solutions fix things or help things or not. Right? But just putting Kanban in place isn't going to really make life all that much better for you. You still have to take that next step and identify your problems and do something about it. So I have a question about uh, the the metrics. If if Dave uh, White, you said earlier, you can't really say we're going to see this much improvement, um, and which is fine for me personally. But if you can't uh, measure the success of uh, how, like how would you measure the success of the of a Kanban implementation? Well, so I don't know. I said I wouldn't. I could measure. I said I wouldn't promise going into a sales meeting that I would get 300% improvement in six months. We absolutely can measure. Like that's one of the fundamental uh, tenets of the Kanban method is that we evolve scientifically. We measure, we observe, we speculate, we form hypotheses about how to improve and how we move forward. So, I mean, it's a good point. When you're going back to the very beginning, and like what are we going to do when we just start out trying to this Kanban method thing. So we need to just model our current process. You know, is that user stories? Is that cases? Like it applies in all kinds of knowledge work scenarios or any kind of creative endeavors. So we have to identify kind of what our work is, but then how do we know how good we are at doing our work? And there's a very simple metric that we call lead time or cycle time. I call, I use the word lead time that measures from the point in which we committed to doing the work to when it was done. So in software development, this is like, okay, when did we start working on a story? Not when was it necessarily first identified, not when it did, when was it, not when it was an idea, but when did we actually commit to starting the analysis, coding, testing, and deployment to production? When we start that commitment, the clock starts ticking. And then when we hit done, we finish. The amount of time that elapsed there is what we call lead time. Might be three days, might be seven days, but it's very, I mean, it's, it's exact. It's when did it start and when did it, it's not a speculative number. It's not a story point. It's not a t-shirt size. It's a very concrete thing. And that is a measure in that particular instance of our capability. After we've done that, you know, 10 or 15 times, now we actually have uh, enough information to form a, basically a population of user stories. And we can look at the mean and the medians, you know, the 85th percentile, how often do these things get done 85% of the time, right? We can say, oh, it's six days. So now that we know our stories are getting done in about six days or seven days or whatever that number is. Well, now I actually have a measure of our current capability. What does improvement look like? If I were to say I wanted to improve I wanted to reduce our lead time by 50%, which is a 200% improvement. Okay, well, I need to get my lead down down to three and a half days. That may be a target. Might not be a target. I don't know what, you know, the teams will set that target, but then they'll start to apply little things to see if it works. So let's reduce our whip limit. Let's see if that improves our lead time. Let's, you know, add a tester. Let's see if that improves our lead time. Let's try and automate these steps here. Maybe that improves our lead time. But we can actually iterate over all of these experiments, focus on the ones that work, roll back the ones that don't work, or abandon them. You know, you might do some add in something to the process that 
doesn't actually improve your capability, but it is a, it's a, there's a cost to maintaining that uh, capability. Well, let's if it didn't help us, let's get rid of it. Stop doing it. So we can, definitely can measure our capability, and we can detect improvements after we've tried these little experiments. So one of the principles of Kanban is that you want to make your work visible. I work on a on a distributed team, so we don't have anywhere that we could put up a board or anything that would make this stuff visible to even people on the team, let alone the, the stakeholders. What what would you suggest for those sorts of scenarios? Uh, you know, if you've got Trello, if you've got TFS, if you've got Jira, it's a card on your digital Kanban board. That's it's, I mean, that's one of the things that a lot of people will advocate physical boards. I like boards, but I recognize that in our constantly evolving workplace, people are not physically co-located. So it makes physical boards hard. So there's lots, like physical boards, easiest to implement. Just find a piece of wall and some sticky notes. Then we get into to tools like Jira, TFS, SmartView, LeanKit, Swift Digitate, like all these tools that are boards, target process. They all have boards. They all have cards. So now we have the ability to see physically something. But another important part of our work is just what deciding to write it down. Excel, as much as it pains me to say this, if you put a story in Excel, it's visual. You've visualized it. You've made it concrete as opposed to just being a conversation that happened between two people. Hey, go implement this thing. Okay, I'll do that. That's invisible work. And even just writing it down on a sticky note or an Excel or something is starting to make it visible. And then understanding those commitments and done points, now we can measure lead time. Now we know what we're working on and how long it takes us to do things. And now we can start to measure opportunity, like improvement opportunities. I want to ask Amir a question. Amir, you've uh, built SmartView. That, that's yours, right? Yes. How does that compare from, I know that's a, a visual Kanban board. How does that compare to, say, uh, Agile Zen or LeanKit or some of the other tools? The motivation uh, for me to build SmartView, well, because first uh, I do believe in Kanban. I, uh, I, I've been using it for quite a while, and, and I, I think it is. Uh, uh, an excellent tool that can be implemented anywhere. But the major difference that I noticed when I was using, uh, for example, Agile Zen or Trello is that they don't help you out as much as they could in terms of highlighting when, when things should be looked at, when, when, for example, story is being too long in the board and also the, the backlog management in general is not there. So I wanted to have a tool that would let me use user story mapping to manage my backlog and let me manage releases, but at the same time uh, have features to enter the WIP limit, but not only uh, just as a number, but uh, highlight when things are not going good, uh, highlight when uh, some uh, features have been for too long on the board and we need to, to act on them and compare uh, when you see a cumulative flow, also understand that w which of your parts of the process they need to be uh, improved and maybe you need more people there or more skill in there or things like that. 
Okay, so Kanban sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, it seems like it solves a lot of problems out there that you might find within other systems. You can layer it on top of whatever your existing process is. I really like the idea that it it adds visibility to what it is that you're doing because far too often I find on projects people ask for stuff and they have like, no concept of, of what that is. And I wouldn't expect them to have a concept of what it is. Because you do like, add a field here and adding the field there is five minutes. Add a field here, well, that's that's a serious commitment and that's going to take us three weeks to get done because we have to integrate it with 12 other systems. And, and having that visibility is, in my mind, really one of the better things that Kanban offers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this a little bit more inside my organization and see if we can get some Kanban methodologies used. You know, one thing I like to... You know, I just ask Scrum teams to try this out because it's really easy to layer on top of their their current process. Because Scrum teams are already describing things as user stories, but they're also estimating using story points or something like that. And I would just say, hey, how about you guys just layer on your a lead time calculation? This is always an interesting exercise for them to try, and then to tell show me the correlation between lead time and story points. Then you're going to start to see, hey, wow, this estimation stuff. Is there's, there's not actually an exact correlation. And then we can start to have these other questions about, well, why you know, does this three take three days and why does this three take seven days? And I just throw that out to them. It's not, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just throwing that out to them. So if you just start to think about, like, you know, as a scrum team, you're already usually visualizing your work pretty well. Let's just layer on some other fairly easy metric like lead time and see what questions you start to ask yourself. Okay, sounds good. I don't know if you're getting the hit. I'm trying to wrap up the podcast here because we're getting up to <laughs> an hour in length. And I know you love talking about Kanban. So I think that, that pretty much covers up everything that we want to talk about on our highly sophisticated agenda related to Kanban. Uh, so if people have questions, I'm sure they could post them in the, the associated blog post here we'll put up links to, to smart view definitely to smart view and maybe some other tools probably not though because we really like Amir and we want him to succeed so that, that pretty much brings us to a close this week so thanks everybody for coming out we'll we'll get together and do something again next week thanks y'all thanks guys okay. thank you bye